night. <coughs> Heavenly Father, we would pray that in the name of Jesus that you would hear us again. We're glad that we may receive your word as it's read, as we have it preached, and may be preached in season and out of season. This has been a week for that in one sense with services on Thursday, services today. We're glad that we may live in a land where we may proclaim that word and we may receive it in freedom. And we pray that your spirit may be at work in us, the very one who has inspired your word, that he may work in his word and in its preaching uh, to bless your people unto the glory of your name. We'd ask that you'd hear us in Jesus' name. Amen. We are going to be looking again at one of the commandments, the Eighth Commandment this time, and uh, carry on in our series of the Catechism. We're also going to be looking at the Sermon on the Mount in looking at the Catechism once again. We did that with the Sixth Commandment and the Seventh Commandment. We're doing that with the Eighth Commandment as well as we turn to Matthew 6, verses 19 through 24. Matthew 6, 19 through 24, where we hear of uh, three sets of twos taking place here, as we hear about two different kinds of treasures, two different kinds of eyes, and two different kinds of masters, uh, as we take up the Eighth Commandment. We're also going to be looking at Lord's Day 42, which is on page 50. Four and 55 in the back of the blue hymnal. We start by looking at Matthew chapter 6, starting with verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye of the, is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. We take a look, having read from God's Word to Lord's Day 42, questions 110, question 111. First Lord's Day 42, question 110. What does God forbid in the Eighth Commandment? He forbids not only outright theft and robbery, punishable by law, but in God's sight, theft also includes cheating and swindling our neighbor by schemes made to appear legitimate, such as inaccurate measurements of weight, size, or volume, fraudulent merchandising, counterfeit money, excessive interest, or any other means forbidden by God. In addition, he forbids all greed and pointless squandering of his gifts. 
Question 111 asks, what does, this, what does God require of you in this commandment? The answer is that I do whatever I can for my neighbor's good, that I treat him as I would like others to treat me, and that I work faithfully so that I may share with those in need. May God's word be indeed a blessing in his truth to us tonight. Brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, there are those times, of course, where we come to the very erroneous conclusion that we can with a lot of the commandments that uh, we see, especially you've seen in the Sixth Commandment, Seventh Commandment, well, you know, I don't murder, uh, I don't kill anybody, so therefore I, I'm probably pretty clear on the Sixth Commandment. I'm, uh, I'm not somebody who is uh, taking somebody else's wife, and so maybe I'm clear there in the Seventh Commandment. And when you get to the Eighth Commandment, you can take a super narrow look there too, as you could in these other commandments, to the point that one could convince oneself that one's pretty clear here as well. The teacher of the law wanted to convince himself with a a narrow view of the neighbor in the Good Samaritan uh, parable, that he could justify himself before God, only to find that his neighbor, neighbor covered a much broader scope than he ever realized. Now, we have not uh, killed anyone physically. We don't think we, we, have, we have killed, therefore. We haven't taken another's wife or husband, so we haven't committed adultery. So here, when it comes to theft, well, maybe we haven't robbed a bank, and so we haven't stolen. However, the command not to steal is broader than what meets the eye, just like the sixth and seventh, and actually we see that in, in all the commandments to some extent. Uh, and certainly we have to be careful then when we look about what it is that we shouldn't be doing, what it is that we should be longing to, doing, uh, to do when we look at the eighth commandment. And when it comes to serving the Savior and seeking to serve Him devotedly, negative and positives arise. What's forbidden? What's faithful? Uh, so as to be more and more a reflection of Christ our righteousness. And less and less a reflection of the unrighteous natural man in Adam that we would otherwise find ourselves to be. We are to long to be all the more in conformity with the image of God's Son. And so that's true about the Eighth Commandment as well. So what, it, what, what is it that makes stealing such a bad thing to start with uh, in the first place and why it's so diametrically opposed to the Christian way of life is what we're looking at, first of all, in our sermon tonight. We're going to be looking at putting off what is forbidden and putting on what is faithful. We start by looking at putting off what is Forbidden. Now, it's, it's a remarkable thing, I think, in, the, in our day and age, too, that we see a lot of people who, even culturally, have, have drunk, drunk the Kool-Aid a bit, that way of, of thinking that, in some ways, thievery is really not such a bad thing. Well, we see that in, in masses. We see that when chaos seems to arise. I, I, I can just remember not too long ago, and you, you don't forget this either. I still have this image in my mind of uh, the Nike store on Michigan Avenue in Chicago 
and people just leaping. And I, I've been to that store. Maybe you have uh, in visiting Chicago. But I've been to that store a number of different times. I, and, and here it was at a time when everybody was going nuts with regard to uh, the ways in which people thought that they could get away with things. And they were busting through windows and walking out, looting the place, and, and having no qualms about doing it. Because the more the merrier. The more that we're doing it, the, 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 the more it seemed like it was a good thing to do. And then you'd even hear of people saying, well, we're not going to charge people for shoplifting anymore unless they, well, unless they maybe shoplift over a thousand bucks in certain communities. And so it makes you wonder. It, it, it brings up the question, well, is stealing really that bad a thing? Evidently, cultural, the culture doesn't think so, in some respects anyway. Well, when we consider the Eighth Commandment in our passage this evening, that that speaks to us about the kind of loyalty and vision and ambition that we're supposed to be having as kingdom citizens of God in Christ, much of what we can say about the motives behind thievery and robbery have nothing to do with God's sovereignty at all. And when you see these things happening around you, you see that the sense of God's sovereignty is nowhere to be found in people's hearts. Their hearts are far from the sovereignty of God. Thievery stems from selfish ambitions that ignore God's sovereignty. They seek to usurp it, and they certainly fail to trust the sovereign care and promises that come from the sovereign God, who not only sovereignly saves through His Son and Spirit so that we can belong to Christ, but also to provide in that same sovereign way to those who have first known the greatest gift of all in Jesus Christ. We, we hear in comfort as Christians, after all, don't we, that he who didn't spare his own son, but gave him up for, for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? That's gospel for us. And the spirit of thievery and the subsequent acts of thievery and stealing and all that goes with it, don't believe that. And they speak words opposite to that divinely gracious ideal and promise. The heart that's behind thievery, and our passage speaks about where your heart is, that's where your treasure, where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. The heart behind thievery knows no ultimate saving gift in Christ. It doesn't know that. Or it forgets it. And therefore doesn't believe that that, that very same God who saved and spared not his son, his precious son, his only begotten son, they also don't believe that he'll provide along with him all the other things that are needed. And there's no contentment. And that's what battles us in the world, doesn't it? It's that discontent that's out there. It's that restlessness. It's that lack of satisfaction. It's where people never have enough. They never have enough of what they're looking for. They're always grabbing, always grasping. And, and they, it's like trying to grab the water. And they can't do it. But they keep doing it anyway. They keep trying. 
But there's never any satisfaction. Thievery isn't content in the peaceful thought of the precious salvation that Jesus Christ provides and what comes along with it. And so instead of saying, well, I'm going to seek his kingdom and his righteousness and all these other things are going to be added unto me, instead of believing that, the ultimate has already, the ultimate has already been given in Christ, so don't sweat the rest. Thievery takes matters into its own hands and makes its goal to get it however it can be done. And it's devoid of the notion that to those to whom much has been given divinely and much more will be supplied, that life is really then about getting on with giving rather than with getting at any cost. In this passage, after all, to a great extent, these related instructions of Two treasures, two visions, two masters are teaching us that we're called to this undivided loyalty and priority to God's ways, to God's kingdom, to God's perspective, to God's gospel in Jesus Christ. That life, again, you know how that goes with these triplets again too, right? It's, it's to hammer the point home. It's not just to stick the, the nail in. It's not just to, to get that shaft of that nail down, but it's to get the head in there. It's, it's this triplicate, superlative, uh, excellent way of, of getting the point of, uh, 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 across that life is about our giving and serving. First to God and then in, in God in our dealing with other people. And as we look at the world, what's forbidden after all in thievery is this overall attitude of storing treasures on earth. It's storing treasures for self. What's, what's forbidden in thievery is what we might call, as our passage does, the evil eye. Whereas other scriptures illumine us is, is the envy, envious eye. It is the eye that lacks liberality. It's darkened to the sight of the need of other people. What's forbidden about thievery is that attitude where mammon, wealth, money are served rather than the sovereign God of grace in Christ. And that covers all those three areas here in our passage tonight. The storing up a treasure in, in, on earth, the, the evil eye, and mammon. Throughout our lives, we're continually called by the Eighth Commandment to set that spirit of and actions of thievery aside. The motivation to, to set that spirit and those actions aside is not because in doing them that that's going to save you and you'll gain then what only God can give you, our justification in Christ, no, we, we set them aside, we're motivated to set them aside because we testify 
that we've already come to know what it is to have gained so much. We have the gracious salvation of God in Jesus Christ, and then we have His promise that He gives us that what we need will be supplied in God's providential and fatherly care in Jesus. You know, it, it's not it shouldn't surprise us that after you just get done reading about this, it starts to go into talking about don't worry and don't be anxious. Because you've received so much and God hasn't forgotten you. And He won't. And so why seek to gain illegitimately if you look into your life and say, well, that, there's these temptations for me to want to do that. If what we've already been given and what we've already gained on a divine and gracious scale is so much better, it's so much higher, it's so much greater. And what is promised on a divine and gracious scale is so much more certain for us to receive. That's what motivates you. Not so that you can, you can gain the inheritance, but because you have it. Gaining illegitimately may not mean we, you know, become bank robbers or we stand there and tackle somebody who just got money from the ATM, take it away from them. But we may find ourselves, like our, our catechism talks about, that we, we may find ourselves to be cheaters, cheaters in a game, cheaters on a test. Cheating others out of what is due them. Why do we do that? Or why are we tempted to do that? We want the honor that we don't deserve. The grade that we don't deserve. The money we don't deserve. The gain that we don't have coming to us. And we want to live the lie then. It's interesting always how these commandments all work together. Seventh commandment can be so much like that, right? You're involved extramaritally or you're involved premaritally. You're living the lie. You're saying you're committed to somebody when you're not. Well, you have that here in the eighth commandment. You're living the lie when you cheat, which is the ninth commandment, right? False witness. We're not being true. We don't love the truth. We're tempted to be dishonest with our business and not upfront with what we seek to sell. Let them find out that the tires are no good or that the engine runs rough. We take what does not belong to us. And when we do that, it shows that we're not content in what the Lord has already supplied to us and what He has promised to provide for us. We don't trust Him. In breaking the Eighth Commandment, we live dishonorably. We dishonor others, and we dishonor the God of grace and promise whose supply to us in Christ is so much richer than we might otherwise seek after illegitimately. Now, when we see in our passage in the calling of the Eighth Commandment in terms of what is forbidden, we see the, the storing of what is earthly for self as inferior, right? It, Moth and corrupts and there's rust and there's 
uh, thievery that takes place. We see the evil eye of envy. We see the miserliness and hoarding for selfish ends as chaotically dark. Not with the light that we would expect when we're living an orderly life. As we come to see that if we seek to share our service between God and money, we'll discover the only, there's only one that will serve in such a duplicity. And it'll be money if we try to split it between the two. Because while we may be able to serve two employers in our modern day and age, it's impossible in those days to serve two masters. Because you'd either be owned by one or the other, but certainly not by both. And so if money's our master, then we know where our heart is as well. They find themselves in the same place. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. Greed takes the lead. Storing up treasure is not just about money, of course. The treasure could be power or pleasure as well, where ambition and self-indulgence are the motivators for life. But the passage reminds us that just like you can't serve two masters, you can't expect anything lasting from a self-gratifying pursuit of earthly treasure. Because moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal, and that doesn't happen with treasures in heaven. You can't expect anything lasting from a self-gratifying pursuit of earthly treasure. It rots, corrupts, it's stolen. And scripture tells us elsewhere, it'll only be given to somebody else someday too, so you can't even hold it forever. It's not lasting. We can see why then such pursuits that so often lead to various kinds of thievery of which the, the catechism speaks are forbidden by God and, sh and should be set aside by us. They don't, fit with a life where somebody knows that they have what the, how much they've been given in Christ and how much is promised by God in Christ graciously and that knowledge of what has been given and what has been promised should move us to a setting aside a taking off of what is forbidden then in the eighth commandment it should motivate us if we remember the grace of God in Christ. But then if those are the things that should be set aside according to the Eighth Commandment, illegitimate takings, then what should be taken up are legitimate gainings and superior storing and devoted service to the God of all grace in Jesus Christ. The calling to store up treasure in heaven here speaks to us about Superior storing and legitimate gaining of sorts. And yet, paradoxically, it's, so it's that way because storing in this way is a storing that happens through service, not through stealing, not through hoarding. It's by giving, not by getting, not, not, not by mere getting. You know, what makes such heavenly storing superior is like we heard this morning a little bit, is that these are the treasures that last. You know, moth doesn't destroy and, and 
you don't see the the rust and the the breaking in and and all of the rest. That doesn't happen with treasures that are set up and stored in in heaven. Because one of the beauties about Christian living and Christian service is that it is not, as some would have us believe, I've said this maybe before, it's not the polishing of the brass on a sinking ship. You know, people will make that mentality, say that, well, you know what, the earth and the, the heavens will all be renewed, everything's going to be consumed, so who cares how you live right now, because it's all going to go to pot anyway. Well, that's just, that's just nonsense. That's not how we are to look at what we do. Because then why do we do anything at all? It doesn't matter. It does. It does matter. These acts of service and liberality and generosity and and the like that occur have lasting effects. They carry with them everlasting rewards. And they follow after the saints who die to go to be with the Lord. They carry with them this lasting, everlasting, uh, even everlasting impact. You can have an eternal difference that that gets made by what's done. And that's part of why serving the Lord for the sake of His grace is never empty. It's never void. Your work in the Lord is never empty. It's never meaningless and it's never regrettable. We, We talk like that at times too. You know, should I go and do that good thing? Yeah, I don't know how those people are going to react to that. You want to go do a good thing? You don't have to regret it. You don't have to regret it. People don't always respond to good that you do. That's not the point. You can't control that, but you can do something good and you don't have to regret it because somebody else doesn't appreciate it. It's never regrettable to do a good deed to do a good service, to be generous. Because you're doing it for the cause of the Lord, ultimately. You know, I still think back, and if I, if I could just, it's not a digression, but I remember, uh, and, you, and a lot of you can appreciate this and, and, and think about it. I, as I was thinking about this message, thinking about this part of the message, I thought about doing Christian school. And I remember when that school came to an end. And that was a sad day for many here. I know it was. And I remember when I got asked to speak a few words about that, and it still sticks with me. Sitting around some of you and others who were a part of that. And you say, well, it's all over now. That whole school that was that people broke their backs over for a hundred years, it's all done. And it makes it it made it sound like when it came to an end, that what was done for it, well. There, there's something, is it, was it all for nothing? It wasn't. Because all of that effort that was done for the sake of Christ, for the name of Christ, for the sake of children in Christ, it's never regrettable. It's never empty. It has a lasting impact beyond what we can even uh, comprehend. And that's not the only area of, of life that, that, where that's true. 
acts of service have their lasting effects. And you know, people on this earth may not always appreciate that service. They may not always understand it. But the Father in heaven who sees all that we do does not forget those things. Often we don't even realize the lasting effects the good that we have done in the name of Christ can have. But this passage reminds us they are not like the works of rust and theft and decay that don't last. They're acts that have an everlasting value done by those who have been given everlasting life. The way the catechism would describe these acts is how Scripture would describe them. We treat others as we would have them treat us. We share with those who are in need. We fill needs. But God does. Even the work that we do is a work that has its benefit. We can supply for ourselves legitimately, for our families. That's lost in our culture today. People don't know what a work ethic is. They don't know what ethics are. They don't know what work is. Well, that's, that's one way you can shine your light. Be dependable, work hard, be there on time, serve your employees the way or employers you, the way you should, treat your employees well. But out of these labors, we're able to share with those who are in need. And that's good perspective. That's good vision. That's the good eye that is seeing things with the proper, focused, devoted, and gracious perspective. Not like the one whose eye is so bad, our passage says, that the light of the gospel and the perspective on getting and gaining are so dark that he's not even aware that what he thinks is light within is actually darkness. That's how deceived he is. So great is his darkness. The one with the good illumined eye is the one who realizes that his money and his things and his wealth are not his master. Because that kind of enslavement is the irony, after all, of a self-indulgent and selfish and tight-wadded individual. As he gains and stores treasure selfishly, he thinks he's serving himself. He may think he owns things, but he doesn't realize that things own him. And when one is owned by things, one's life becomes a waste a pointless pursuit. That's not why we were put on the planet. Where the gaining now has become a loss. The owning has become an enslavement. The one who owns is the one who's owned. You know, the beautiful, beautiful thing about putting on what is faithful and what is commanded by the Eighth Commandment in light of God's grace and His benevolent ownership of us in Christ are that while we're giving and while we're serving God and while we're working and while we are sharing, we are not losing. We're storing. And we know where our real treasure is, our lasting treasure. 
And then our hearts are in the right place. And we'll never have to think that such giving of ourselves is for nothing. Not when we're serving our Savior who's given us so much and promises all that we need in this life and, and glory in the life to come. And that's what the good eye sees. It's the eye of faith. It's, it's the devoted eye. It's the eye that's fixed on the light of God in Jesus Christ. And when he sees that, then his entire life shines. Devotedly, faithfully, generously in the service of God to whom he belongs. Because he takes joy not in the things that belong to him that really have become things that own him. He takes joy in knowing he belongs to God and Jesus Christ bought by his blood. So where's your heart today? Well, I can tell you this. It's where your treasure is. It's true for everybody. And if it's our desire to serve our Savior as the one who has saved us and to whom we belong and belong alone, then our treasure is going to be found in heaven. And you and I are going to be seeking to shed ourselves of that attitude that acts as if nothing has ever been given to us and nothing's ever been promised to us by God in Christ. And instead we want to clothe ourselves all the more with that attitude that serves devotedly and generously the God who has given and who's promised to give us in Christ. May that be where our hearts treasure is today. And if it's not, I pray that on this day of salvation we'll come to know what it means to be saved from our sin in Jesus Christ. The greatest gift of all. The greatest treasure. So that we'll know what it means to give of ourselves to God and to others. And when we do that, we're storing up treasures in heaven. Amen. Let's pray, shall we? Father, the riches that are ours in Christ are beyond tracing out. The benefits divine are vast. Belonging to him is the greatest treasure we could know. Your promises to give have been made evident. Your word testifies that you gave your son. The righteous for the unrighteous the indescribable gift that Jesus is, and that you have not only not spared him, but you promise to give graciously all things to those who belong to you. And when we keep that in mind, Heavenly Father, we know that with your grace we can shed the temptations and we can shed the evils where we act as if you gave us nothing and promised us nothing. Lord, help us to live more than in that fruitful, productive way that leads to a life to which you've called us in the first place. 
not one where we're seeking to gain by any means possible, but it's also rejoice in the gain we have gained by grace in Christ so we can get to giving or continued giving and serving, storing up treasures in heaven with good eyes and serving our God in devotion. May you accept our prayers, dear Father, for Jesus' sake. Amen. 482 verses 1 through 3 is our song of response. We give thee what thine own. 482 verses 1 through 3 in the blue hymnal. 1 through 3 of 482. Our doxology is the third verse of 325.